Welcome to Smart Branding, a podcast dedicated to branding, naming, and domain names. I'm Tatiana Bonneau, and with my guests, we try to help you create and grow strong, memorable, and meaningful brands online. I believe time is one of our most precious assets, and so I want to thank you in advance if you decide to spend the next 30 minutes with us. I promise to do my best to make those worth it. Let's go. So thank you again, everyone, for joining. Um, I was just saying to all the guests, this, this is the first time I'm doing a podcast with more than one guest, so this can go horribly wrong. So thank you, everyone, for listening and staying throughout as well. Uh, let's just jump into it because I, I feel like it, we're going to take some time. We have a lot of interesting guests and a lot of interesting topics to, to discuss. So my first sort of a topic is uh, obviously we're coming up to the end of the year, so Reflections on 2023, we start with key events and let's just pick one each. It's probably going to be hard. Uh, it's been, I feel like I'm saying it's been a crazy year every year. So I don't know what's that a sign off, but you know, it's been a crazy year. Um, so let's start with, um, I guess, uh, um, I don't know what's the logic on who appears on my screen, but Jim appears first on my screen. So let's start with notable, like what do you feel was the most notable um, event or development in your space this year? So we specialize in rebranding organizations successfully. And so I would say the most notable example was a bad example, which was Twitter's rebranding to X <laughs> and how it did not prove to be a good learning experience in terms of how to rebrand right. It's a learning experience in terms of how to rebrand incorrectly if you're wanting to keep your customers, your followers engaged and enthusiastic about your future. Yeah, and or not have a crazy man buy you out. I mean, that could be a part of it. That could be a part of it. Good too. start. But I think the funniest part about this whole thing is Elon talks about how technically savvy he is and whatnot. And when you type in x.com, where does it go? Twitter. Twitter. Yeah. Yes. So I still call it Twitter because that's where it everybody started. does. So, it's not just yes. you. It's not just uh, you. Everyone does. Yeah. I was like, we recently revamped our website and the designers put that X and literally like it's still not done, but I said, just put, put Twitter back, just put it back. I don't, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's an amazing example of, of how to do it wrong. Uh, and, and you can see that in, news coverage uh, you know uh, he's he and the platform have been in the news so much but even newscasters uh, you know cannot help but say uh, X formerly Twitter and mm -hmm. uh, or, or if they don't just call it Twitter and also a, a great thing about Twitter was the elegant name they had for the for tweets you know I mean it fit together just right but it wasn't repeating the same thing uh, and Nobody there has come up with a proper name yet for what the the that item is, that interaction <laughs> sounds Com dodgy. <laughs> complete fail, complete branding fail. It's it'll it'll be taught in in textbooks, I'm sure, for a hundred years. Yeah, also yeah. being taught is never to tell your uh, your advertiser to f off. That's probably <laughs> another one. <laughs> Follow suit. Yeah, right? but, but I think the. Uh, it, it's good. To, first of all, it's good to be here and good to see you all and, and make new friends in the podcast. Really happy to join. I, I'm pretty much stunned. I like you. I think you could have made it. He could have made it work, right, with X. But you could clearly see there was no preparation, no planning, no plan. 
no objective, no timeline, no management of expectations. Exactly. I mean, it's been a perfect opportunity. He's got all the exposure of the world. If you have a well-prepared story and a well-prepared execution plan, this rebranding could have gone really well and he would have been able to pull it off because mm. the, the, the brand awareness is like 100% and he could migrate it to basically anything with another mm. 100%. And if you then well, manage to alienate your and in, indeed tell your advertisers to F off, I mean, that's just... <laughs> then you, you're just uh, spoiled, if you ask mm. me, a naive. Well, that's a good um, word. <laughs> Yeah, I think that, uh, yeah, from my perspective, like it's a little bit of arrogance here, like uh, because of his success in the other companies, he told that this will be easy. Everybody's watching me so I can do whatever I want. So you remember that he even changed the logo to uh, a Doge coin for for one day, I think, or, or something or more. I don't remember, but who would do that like would you consider facebook changing their logo for 24 hours to a crypto project that is a a completely nonsense like and i can say this as a person who has been in crypto in for more than three years so for me this is one of the like like useless projects out there but when Elon is behind you you feel that you have conquered the world. Mm -hmm. And I have a feeling that he also believes that. And he believes that whatever company he gets, he can turn it into a multi-billion company. And we all know that actually he is not the guy who has created Tesla. And many people forget that. Yeah, absolutely. I think the key thing there, and then both uh, Jim and Mark mentioned it, um, uh, no, actually, um, as well, Chad, I think, is is that it could have been right if there was some thought and coordination into it. And also um, on on uh, Mark, we have two Marks, so that's difficult. Uh, <laughs> on on uh, the other Mark's point that, like, why would you try and fix something that wasn't broken? People were loving, you know, tweet and Twitter. But also, if you absolutely feel the need to, for whatever reason, like we don't know, you know, whatever his reasoning was, I don't think anybody knows. I don't know if he know. I think arrogance in proving a point was probably a large part of it. But like, take your audience into account and tell them a story so that they have an idea of why you're doing that. And it could have been. I mean, there were like I think the most reasonable thing that I so read about that rebrand was that it would allow them to be more than just you know Twitter, more than just that uh, chatting app, more of a like everything app and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Like, and it wasn't by by Elon Musk and or anybody at Twitter X now. It was like other people trying to figure it out, but that could have been a story that you could potentially sell. You know, we're bigger now, we're becoming something else, et cetera, et cetera. But still, you you would have had to put that together and plan it and present it correctly. And you would you would use the rebranding to roll out or launch the new capability so that there was mm. behind it. There was something new deliverable to your customers. He didn't. He threw out a vision that was so far in the future. And so undescribable. We want to be the everything app. Well, what does that mean? You know, <laughs> so he he was way ahead of himself at launching it. It was driven more by ego than any concern or care for the customers and and his mm. followers. Yeah, well, I think I think they lost one one thing, and this is what topples it all: trust. 
They lost trust yeah. in their entire base. They allowed individuals back onto Twitter that were kicked off of Twitter for a, a, a litany of things, right? Not to mention Alex Jones comes in this week. So when you lose, one of the things, at least in, in the U.S., I've seen that we've lost trust in just about everything. I mean, we, we used to have, you know, trust in community, trust in religion, trust in government, not as much really trust in government. But anyway, when it comes down to all of that, we're losing trust. And then when we start to look at companies, we've started to gain more trust in Apple, in Google, and in these different brands, right? They become cult brands. Well, in this case, he's lost a dramatic amount of the, the general trust right now he has the little bamboo shoots of crazy people who are obviously feeding in but they're not going to pay the bill so i think at the end of the day all of what we're talking about is on a is on a not so sturdy foundation of trust and or mistrust mm. and that kind of it reminds me of uh, one other uh, kind of notable element a uh, notable event this year brand wise it, it kind of it resonates with that idea of trust is a lot of the most successful uh, brands of this year were 50 and 60 years old. Uh, Barbie and the Beatles mm. and Godzilla, you know, these are, these are brands that uh, uh, your parents and your grandparents understand, or in my case, just me, uh, <laughs> that, uh, uh, you know, that resonate and, and, and count and dis are distinguished from their, their competitors, you know, in all the ways that a good, strong brand should be, uh, and have accrued, you know, through, through all kinds of social changes, um, and, and developments, but still stand strong. Uh, and, and so that, that to me has been a development of this year is that, uh, a brand that has proven itself, you know, uh, so strong that can translate even, you know, uh, going back a few years, but like, you know, the, the Marvel universe is something else that goes back to childhood, but has been successfully translated into a modern world uh, and updated and tweaked, but still retains so much of its core personality uh, that that has been uh, that has been a authenticity is 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 such a major coin of the realm these days. Mm -hmm. Reality that some of the there's a real chance for some old brands, you know, to to keep kicking. And I think it would encourage people who have old brands to to think about bringing them back around. Yeah. Mm. That's a, a good segue to uh, my event of the year, which is also um, the flip side of that, Mark. So it's an old brand that had a lot of, a lot, lot, lot of sort of legacy to it, and that would be Bud Light. And <laughs> everyone's laughing already just when I say Bud Light. Um, and so in case you, you know, were on the moon for the past year, uh, Bud Light's sales have actually been declining steadily, inch by inch, for a long time. They brought in a new marketing director and instructed her to reach out to people beyond their core consumers so they could move that around. She did as she was told, and she, they wanted her to find younger consumers. So younger consumers are very politically progressive, and so she did one promotion with a trans woman influencer, just one. <laughs> and this blew up, blew up. And 
I just what's fascinating is for years Disney is that my internet or no it's brands kind of learned that you could just ignore them because there'll be a little fuss but your sales nothing will happen to your sales they'll keep going up and just ignore that Bud Light has lost 30 percent of its market share it was America's largest beer it's lost more sales than the vast majority of beer brands in America ever have. Ever. Mm. And uh, it's just huge. And it's fascinating that this time it blew up, whereas in all those past instances, it didn't really hook. And I think the difference, partly I think this was politically very well orchestrated by social conservatives. Um, it wasn't, you know, it was sort of astroturf. It wasn't, you know, totally spontaneous. But... A lot of the sort of Trump uh, conservative MAGA movement is really the core consumer for that are men who feel that their place in society, often as men, their masculinity is under attack and disrespected, and they want to reclaim that. And so when they use this trans woman, it offended that sense of masculine, the particular masculine identity that their core consumers had. Um, and it was like, no, no, this beer is supposed to be for me. Now you, this person is someone who I hate, right? That mm. is the opposite of me. And I don't want, you know, if, 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 if that's the beer for her, it's not the beer for me anymore. So mm. it's back to um, identity uh and uh old brands yeah mm. let me, let me hit that real let me yeah, hit that real ahead. quick tatiana i think one of the things that definitely happened was bud light didn't pick a lane right and they only did this under exactly. a campaign it was one campaign Th then they went back on that campaign so you're you're telling an audience that you're going to endear them right and when you're talking about increasing a total addressable market so this is a great market to, to to go after especially that time of the year it was it was perfect but the problem that they had wasn't going into it it was pulling out as fast as they did so they told the people that they really cared about that they didn't care about them so not only did they piss off the rednecks uh so what they're going to go away someday right they're going to they're going to devolve out you're talking about this new group that you i'm sure they did tons of market research on um now you're talking about this new group that you've now told well you don't care as much as we thought you you, you know we, mm. we cared about you yeah. mm. I, mean, I mean um all they had to do to save the campaign was simply say we made a mistake we were drunk that's right. Drunk on a brand new Bud Light product, which is great for you. It's, I mean, that's all they had to do. It would have been funny. Everyone would have kept talking about it, but no, because again, everyone, you know, there's no sense of the marketing. It goes back to you saying it's about, Oh, I did poor market research, but the execution was, was, was terrible. They got everyone talking about it and they could have kept mm -hmm. it going and you could have went another direction with it because everybody was talking about it. They did their job. Everybody knew about it. Um, but mm. there was no sales from it. So would it be uh, a successful campaign as far as awareness or a failure as far as sales? Panel, be the judge. Mm. I think it goes back to uh, authenticity, which Mark just mentioned. And it's funny that uh, I was actually just saying that today that a lot of conversations that I have recently that words keeps coming up 
Partly, I feel it's related to uh, the boom of artificial intelligence and in particular ChatGPT this year, where like we've been flooded with everything AI, which has that uh, opposite effect of, I think someone is joining. Um, hello. Yeah, this is Dave Locker. Hi, Dave. We've just started without you, but you're very welcome to join. And I'm very glad you're here. We are actually... Uh, at the moment talking about Budweiser and the fail that uh, they had this year with the marketing campaign. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I was I was just uh, commenting on that, that uh, what, what I feel it lacked was that commitment and authenticity of like, if you, I don't, uh, we've seen brands commit to something that is controversial and get a lot of hate for it and canceled from places and still, you know, get out of it uh, in, in a positive way. But that's when they are going after something that they really stand for, really believe in. And I don't think that was the case here. It's, I guess the trend yeah. here is that we've recognized we're in a new world where um, brands need to be more acutely aware of their activities, their stances on different issues, mm. and that we're surrounded by an environment where someone will po poke at it just to generate visibility for themselves and to hide their, you know, their presence. And so planning on how you're going to manage those kind of situations if they occur, that crisis communications component is critical before you go out and do any new campaign, any new kind of effort that's going to potentially poke the bear. Absolutely. And it's very timely that David actually joined just now, because um, I had a question for you on that, moving into the second segment on, on the podcast, which is um, some specific like insight. You started talking about brand as an asset for a business like way before, I wanted to say way before I was alive, but that's not fair. <laughs> I just turned 39, but it was about 30 years ago. So, you know, that that works. But you started talking about uh, brand as an asset. And at the time, a lot of companies didn't even have a like branding department. And nowadays it, yeah. it's very much a thing. So um, what are your, your highlights of this year? Where do you feel companies are getting it right and wrong? Like where do you feel we are today compared to then? Well, uh, first of all, let me say that I, I, I have an opinion on taking controversial political stands. I don't think it's, I think it's dumb. It's not smart. And I think that the, um, the worst is that you probably do damage to your cause. You, you probably are not even ineffective. You're probably worse than that. And, and at the same time, you're taking customers and money away from you that could be used to, to support some social program that really does make a difference. And, mm -hmm. um, so that, that's what I, I think about the, uh, um, yeah, when in, it was actually yeah over 30 years ago now that brand equity to be uh, decide you know became a, a popular topic because firms were realizing that they uh, they weren't growing with their with this business about increased market share at, at any cost strategy and so they needed to build brands they kind of realized that and so brand equity became important, but nobody had defined brand equity. It was commonly, nominally 
just added awareness and added awareness and image. That was what brand equity was. And so I defined it in my book, Management Brand Equity, right? I did and two things. One, I defined it to include brand loyalty, which really kind of changed everything because once you believe brand loyalty is part of your brand asset, then then everybody gets involved in the uh, and and marketing and branding and gets involved in the whole customer experience. And it's just not something you can delegate to an ad agency anymore. It's not just communication. And uh, so that was one thing. The other thing is that over the years, I've kind of modified uh, – some of the elements to the the structure of brand equity. Now, instead of awareness, I talk about relevance, which is uh, energy and energy and visibility plus credibility. It, you have to be relevant to be considered. So it's more than awareness. And image, I emphasize emotion as well as functional uh, elements to the image. And with respect to loyalty, um, I start to think about the uh, the. The, the most intense loyalty comes when you have a brand community. So I like people to think in terms of the potential to create a community. Hmm. I want to bring Charles into our discussion because um, we, you just said um, that it's, it's not a good idea to bring uh, political statements and take sides, but uh, Charles has a unique experience in that he was in, uh, involved a lot in branding. He he's the founder um, and uh, was for some time the a long time the CEO of Safe Brands, and now he's leading an NGO um, and is managing uh, nonprofit projects. With, which, when you're working for a cause, obviously, inevitably, you take a side. That, that can be political or other. So Charles, like, what are your thoughts on, on that and how do you create and manage a brand for NGO? Well, uh, can you hear me? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hi, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the brand for an NGO is, I mean, coming back to what was just said, um, you've got different types of, of NGOs. Uh, you've got pure humanitarian NGOs, and uh, humanitarian NGOs are um, uh, considered as uh, following the principle of humanitarian, which has been defined by the founder of uh, Red Cross uh, last century. And in this case, uh, the, uh, the, the pure humanitarian NGOs have to be independent, i.e., in the case of Ukraine, which is the case I'm, I'm on at the moment, and uh, um, and I will come back to maybe you know the, the major brand trends this year uh, because I've got uh, you know, one thing to say about that. But we, uh, uh, if you take the International Red Cross, uh, this is a strong brand and they attract a lot of the humanitarian aid, uh, humanitarian donations uh, around the world. And uh, they've been very much criticized at the beginning of the conflict because the uh, the principle of uh, an organization like Red Cross is that they should uh, be totally independent. And that's the principle. And that the principle of humanitarian is that she's got to be independent because it's the only way that you can organize humanitarian corridors, that you can speak to both parties. 
and uh, uh, a human life is a human life. So that means that uh, the Red Cross on the field, uh, on the ground, should save, uh, put the same effort into saving a Ukrainian soldier than a Russian soldier. And of course, mm. this is a, a difficult situation where it's not a situation where there is black and white, uh, where you know the you've got an aggressor and a victim. Uh, but uh, that is, on the long run, the only way that humanitarian assistance can exist, just simply exist. That médecins sans frontières, so doctors without borders, can operate. The only way they could operate is because they're speaking to both parties and they don't take a buyer. Of course, in the case uh, and about branding, uh, there is a, a very interesting uh, case for Red Cross because you've got on one side uh, International Red Cross Committee, which is the government, you know, the global body, and which is the one which should, which is really taking this, this real independent stance. And again, they've been very criticized because of the positions they took at the beginning of the Russian invasion. And uh, of course, my my organization. Uh, has taken the sense, and we're helping Ukraine, we're not helping Russia. Okay, but I'm just explaining that. And uh, you also have some local Red Cross. You've got the Ukrainian Red Cross, you've got the Moldovan Red Cross, Polish Red Cross, mm. and there's sometimes a confusion between the two roles, because uh, of course the uh, Ukrainian Red Cross has not the same sense as the international Red Cross Committee. So, um, so, so it's, but it's still, you know, having the same... Uh, uh, the same uh, um, Red Cross you know, uh, global name. Uh, and just as a parenthesis, um, you, a Red Cross is, uh, you, you cannot put a Red Cross on every track when you're doing humanitarian help. Red Cross, you will have, if you start to put on your, uh, I, I experienced that because I had problems with the Polish Red Cross. You've got some trucks on the ground and you put some, you know, Red Crosses showing that you were humanitarian. And we were asked by the Red Cross to use a blue cross, not a red mm. cross. Because the, you know, it's not the, the ring of the, of the Olympic Games. So um, that, that's, uh, that's just my, my thoughts on, the, uh, on that. But the, the, the brand Red Cross is, of course, gathering a lot of uh, humanitarians by default because it's just the one that people know. And when they, you know, they want to give, they really give to Red Cross. Uh, I just want to, to, to be short on, on that point. But um, you, you asked, uh, what was the main uh, uh, event for brands? Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's one of the, uh, the the big brands which has emerged over the past 18 months is Ukraine. Uh, and I'm saying that because it is a brand uh, in the sense that uh, uh, yeah, I, I've organized last week um, a meetup between, uh, because I'm also working in a uh, Aside from the humanitarian help, I'm working on uh, economic reconstruction of Ukraine through uh, some mentoring of different startups uh, in, in IT uh, that um, I work with in Keith. Uh, and the, the, uh, the uh, Ukraine tech ecosystem is extremely uh, dynamic. I mean, uh, you know, uh, we live in, uh, in, in October for a few days event, which is uh, a huge success with plenty of different investors around the world. And people are getting interested into what, what is built, what is made in Ukraine. Mm. Uh, and, and I think that um, this is, uh, well, I mean, it's a, it's a real brand because that's how the government 
mistakes. That's how, I mean, if you should look at all the communications for funding, for uh, uh, gathering some help around the world. It's uh, United 24, it, uh, there are many, many um, brands around Ukraine by the government and by the uh, private uh, institutions also. Mm. I absolutely agree with you on that. And it's a very interesting point. I didn't have it on my list to discuss. But now that you brought it up, it's something that I noticed from the actually beginning of the war. And I wasn't like I'm now in Ukraine at the time I was in France. Uh, and I noticed that the way that Ukraine, if I can just you know simplify it as that, but it's obviously, you know, the government, all the people involved in that work has managed that conflict, has very much on the information front been as you would manage a brand. And it's ongoing and it's a lot of hard work. And I feel as lo the longer that goes on, the more you realize how important that is, because really, you know, how people see what's happening and how they feel about it would ultimately decide how governments act. So um, we're talking about companies here and branding, but I guess you can equally apply it to countries. Yeah, uh, uh, and just to finish on, on that, uh, not to send all the, all the events in Ukraine, uh, but that's the only thing I can tell you. If the rest is, uh, yeah, I don't have your experience on that. And it's pretty. But uh, uh, you see a lot of, uh, of companies uh, that are uh, now mentioning that they are made in Ukraine. I mean, and people don't know that Grammarly, for instance, is a Ukrainian company, that Leverage uh, is a company which has been created by a Ukrainian person, that uh, GitLab is Ukrainian, that Kutai mm. is Ukrainian. And you've got, uh, so they start, those companies are starting to uh, raise awareness about uh, what's actually made in Ukraine. Uh, and, mm. part, uh, and this is also part of helping the country. I mean, uh, I've got a project which I'm hoping to launch in the month, which is going to be called Think Scale. And the idea is to raise awareness about all what's actually built in Ukraine and made in Ukraine, so that people, when they decide that they take a CRM or that they take a, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, you know, something online, for instance, they can. Uh, prefer to, uh, if they want to provide train, that that's a way to have to train, which is try to find some Ukrainian companies doing what you're looking for. So, mm. but you need a lot of little Ukrainian flags on board, for instance. If you go on board, there is a Ukrainian flag because they are mm. a Ukrainian company and they have some, some Ukrainian capital. So, so there is an awareness raising uh, about what is what can benefit the country globally because the country will construct because of private funds, not because of uh, humanitarian aid or weapons. Mm. Aaron, uh, on consumer, I mean, consumer culture, that, that's kind of um, your, your area of expertise. How do you feel have consumers changed and now reacting to, to all that as development? Well, I mean, we're, we're kind of circling still around brands taking or not taking sides. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I, I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all uh, on this, and it very much relates to what I think one of the big trends in marketing uh, over the last year, but actually the past several years. Uh, so to make a, a long story very short, um, 50s and 60s were big on mass marketing, uh, and then we started to get more into niche marketing, even if it was target marketing, even if it was a fairly large target. And the idea that went along with target marketing was that you really wanted 
as uh, Dave Acker was explaining to us, right? You really wanted to establish brand loyalty. And for that, you wanted to create brand communities and you wanted to know your customer at a very deep level. That you have this psychological insight into your customer so that you could then really get them to love my term with the brand love stuff, you know, love your brand and love your products. Uh, and you couldn't do that at sort of this mass marketing level. Well, there's been a lot of pushback on that the past couple of years. And there's quite a few people out there who are saying, no, that doesn't work. We really need to go back to mass marketing. And the key to marketing success is a combination of sort of generally positive attitudes about the brand on the part of a lot of consumers, and then a lot of distribution. So you just make it really convenient for them to buy it with a lot of distribution, and then you get them to kind of like it, and then enough of them happen to buy it that you end up having more sales than you used to have, and that's how you grow your brand. Um, so that's becoming increasingly popular, and part of the reason that's becoming popular is because there are some companies, Apple, Nike, um, you know, others that have developed a lot of brand love. So it's clearly possible to do. But there's a lot of companies that have tried and really not had a lot of success with it. So they're sort of or they're open to this message of, well, maybe you should just stop trying. Um, and what I've seen in my own research that I think is really new is that it actually is not one. Um, or the other is, is one size fits all for everyone. There are different situations in which one or the other does make more sense. And it's mm. not the case that every company should be trying for brand love. Some companies should be, and they can be successful if they do it the right way. And lots of other companies shouldn't be because it's not really in the cards for them. And that's why am I going on about this? Well, it brings to this issue about politics, because if you're going to take a stand on a political issue, you're doing that because you want people to resonate with your brand at a deeper level. And that's mm. sort of the brand love strategy. And that can be very effective as part of a brand love strategy. Um, it works best, like if the great example is Dove and what they've been able to do. And their stuff about, you know, body acceptance and everybody is beautiful. Um, that has political kind of overtones to it, but it's not like super directly culture warsy. It kind of deals with ethical and political issues, but it doesn't just like take a baseball bat and hit a hornet's nest. Yeah, uh, so Victoria's Secret try and go that way and kind of that went wrong. <laughs> I think not work. Yeah, it wasn't on brand for, well, that's very interesting. Yeah, I can, I can see how that would be a problem for Victoria's Secret. Um, but uh, so, a lot of these things, but you know, um, Ariel laundry detergent in India has this campaign called Share the Load, which is about uh, getting men to do more laundry, share the laundry load, mm. uh, getting not just not just a woman's job. That is quite political. And a lot of women, it really touches them. I show that ad to my students. I teach at the University of Michigan. I show that ad to my students. And they just get so emotional and so involved. And uh, I've spoken to people in India who were like, I start talking about Ariel and they're like, share the load. You know, they're so excited <laughs> because they're just so moved by this ad campaign. And so that's political and it's working great for them. So it really is a matter of strategy. I mean, I, I'm like, I just brought up the debacle that Bud Light had. So it, it needs to be done carefully and it is not right for every company 
uh, mm. by but it 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 can work for some companies. Mm. I think the the fact that the ad you mentioned, like I haven't seen it, so it was targeted at that particular audience, you know, in India. So that is probably something as well to sort of a tick as like when you're a global brand, if you were to take a stance that's you know goes out of the ordinary or takes a, a side it's probably better to to try and, and do that again i would say with some risk because you know there's obviously like we're all on the internet so like if somebody who's not in india but is not happy with that ad and somewhere else and seeing that that would likely still make the news and that would likely still affect their choices yeah i mean what's nice if you're rel who buys laundry detergent i mean it's mostly the women who do the shopping especially in the traditional culture um who are buying it so I'm sure they did a lot of market research. I have a hunch their message that you know men should help with the chores around the house more uh, is probably not very controversial amongst people who are major purchasers of laundry detergent. Although it mm. might be more controversial if it was you know if it was a beer ad in India and the message was men should help out with the chores more, that would not be a very good campaign, at least in mm. you know likely marketing success. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I guess I guess you're right on that one, Mark. I want to bring you in again, Mark Ganyan. I'm, I'm like, I'm no, I think the other Mark is gone for half an hour. So yeah, let's let's profit. Uh, I want to talk a bit more again about naming. Um, so we we just spoke about um, brands and and I think. I guess it's this year we've naturally went into like um, scandals and controversial things and uh, political issues. How has that affected naming? What do you see this year in in naming? Well, it's it's funny uh, because almost any any choices you make in branding could be a minefield. Um, but uh, uh, some people like to, you know, stomp right into a minefield, too. Uh, uh, I think of, uh, as we talk about uh, political implications of, of branding and so on, my mind goes to uh, Penzi's Spices. And uh, in our household, we're, we're big fans of, uh, of Penzi's Spices. And that's a company that, uh, you know, under the tutelage of their, uh, their boss, Bill Penzi, took a very strong political uh, position uh, and caught flack for it. Uh, but because it was a, you know, it's a, it's a family name uh, and, and family names are often associated with luxury uh, type uh, brands, um, you know, if it's Louis Vuitton or, or uh, Cadillac or, or anything else, there's, uh, you know, a, a kind of a proper noun, is something that can be, you know, bulletproof to uh, uh, social changes can kind of kind of outlast it and everything, even if they put themselves right in the middle of the the argument or the discussion. But I think that um, younger buyers, um, it's it's almost like old brands to a lot of uh, younger buyers are, and this kind of is counter to my previous point about, about Barbie and Godzilla. Uh, but I, I definitely get the feeling that younger buyers look at a lot of older brands, the way they look at their 
grandparents' furniture and, and like they they don't want to inherit it, you know. That don't don't save that for me. They they call, <laughs> they call it brown furniture, you know. And so I, I the the people that are uh, internet native and telephone native, um, they are they are much more wide open to uh uh variations and new evolving kind of names and it, that the thing of authenticity is is so important um when you i think that i think the younger buyers and, and trends that way as far as how they respond to names they really are kind of liking going back to real words uh you know there was there was like 25 years of pressure as as real words got used up in the domain universe you know i always say that my job as a namer uh exists because i was you know because of the luck of the draw in that there was an economic choke point formed in the early days of the internet by deciding that web pages would be reached by going through um uh, uh the, the domain name and so that created this kind of artificial uh, um, quality of of there being a shortage uh, or a finite number of names in a way, and so for a long as as all the real words got used up in the first quarter century of the internet, then we started getting there was a long period of of strange names where English words were being corrupted or or truncated or 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 uh like you know uh, uh tinder or things like or fiverr or uh and things where uh, words were being invented that looked right on their face like a corruption of a real word and i think now that we are so long into the internet that i think that people are responding once again when people will bring up a real word to use as a brand name again uh because the audience understands that uh, having an exact match dot com was kind of an artificial uh, reason to create a whole brand. And if you could you could get that authenticity in reality by using a simple plain word, uh, if it's purple or uh, 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 other words, you know, other new brands are just using a plain, uh, normal English word because the consideration in choosing it was not a hundred percent. Can I get an exact match dot com domain? But rather, can I communicate uh, uh, directly uh, some feel I have? And if I have to add a word to get the domain name in the dot com, that's okay because it's more important that I have. This resonant, uh, authentic uh, uh, communication with my buyers. So that has been something that I've that I've seen is that there's less emphasis on necessarily naming your whole company and your whole brand just because you can get the domain name, but rather can we be direct and uh, uh, and there is a, it feels to me like there is more of an a, a appeal back to real. Uh, real names, real words, mm. as names. and I think that's good. I think that's uh, warming and communicative. And uh, and uh, so one of my old mentors said, "Language is infinite." So there's still a lot of real words out there that can be used, and and so many words that got picked up 
as company names 25 years ago in the first rush of the internet have turned to dust and are all gone. And those domains are sitting on uh, digital warehouse shelves in different places. And so a lot of those are coming back into play and mm. uh, the market is settling on some a price range for those real words. And so uh, I think it's something that we'll see is we'll see a resurrection of uh, plain words that might have been uh, a software name in 1998, uh, but everybody's forgotten now and their kids are out there and, and need those words again. And so I think we'll see more of that. It's funny you mentioned Purple, it's a mattress brand. I think we wrote about it as well, because I thought it's a really, really cool name. Um, I, I like names like that, that are not like, you, you know, you think of purple, you don't think of a mattress, but now they've made that connection and it's really, really fun. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're, it used to be that it was, people only thought that what we call empty vessel names were ones where you could completely control what it means, like Sony or Kodak, you know, words that were invented to be empty and to be filled with your, uh, with your marketing data. But, uh, you know, we're finding out that real words can do that too. If they're, if they're not, uh, too busy, I mean, uh, you know, something like Mac may be overused. You know, a guy gets in his Mac truck and goes out to buy his wife some Mac cosmetics that he looked up the price on his Mac and he buys a big Mac on the way home. Nobody's, <laughs> nobody's confused by that. But, uh, you know, I think that uh, branders and marketers these days um, are, are realizing that uh, something like Fiverr, uh, you know, uh, it just it just it doesn't ring authentic. It, it, it seems like a a, dare, a, a relic, uh, you know, see kind of like bell bottoms or something. It's like, oh, yeah, that's from, you know, that's from 2004, you know, and uh, mm. and, and I think that uh, uh, the real word gets around that feeling of being dated. So mm. I'm, I'm, I'm cheering for real words coming back. I, I I agree, but those are harder than hell to try to get a, a service mark or a brand <laughs> on. Okay, so I I love it, and I feel like you're very being authentic. But I I think that is harder from a business standpoint, especially when we're talking about globalization. Being able to do that in BFE, uh, you know, Arkansas or something like that, to try to get a company name and have a have a storefront. That's easy. Trying to do something from a global standpoint and to be able to to be able to push out into different com uh, countries, that's hard. Uh, and only from working with global companies for pretty much my entire you know corporate life have I have I been able to understand that. So trying to actually get any type of mark on a real word is almost impossible today just because mm. of the different levels and the different layers that you have to play in so i love it it sounds incredibly romantic but it's not incredibly practical mm. it's harder it could be a challenge and and you know one way around that is is uh double barrels you know putting two plain words together uh you know in, in the in the in the good old in the in the days of the internet uh land rush when it was uh, uh, Bluetooth and Red Hat and uh, Facebook, uh, <laughs> those kind of things can can come up with a new uh, a new song, you know, a new little sparkle. Um, but you do have to dig and you do have to, to mix them up a lot. Um, a lot of it is convincing the client. Uh, and, and I'm sure there's disagreement about this, too. But uh, I always tell people that, that the name 
this is the, the old argument. Should the name be suggestive and descriptive of what uh, a product or company really does? And my argument is usually uh, that that is not very important, that rather that the name just has a few jobs to do that it has to do really well. Uh, but it's not your quarterly report and it's not your value proposition. It's not your elevator pitch. You know, it, it, it rather just has to communicate well. That is when you say it on the phone, the person on the other end knows what you said and can write it down. And, uh, and is it differentiate you from your, uh, competitors and doesn't sound like the people around you. So, uh, that is always a, a kind of a hump to get over, uh, especially kind of in the tech world where people really want on the nose, you know, uh, description um, uh, or, or suggestiveness. Uh, and that is that is the part of the spectrum that most of the really hard intellectual work is on is is being suggestive. Uh, but without tying yourself to trying to explain the whole thing, you know, in two syllables. So uh, that's what keeps the job interesting, for sure. I would ask our naming experts, uh, what I would have been teaching my students is that you don't necessarily have to narrate exactly what you do. I mean, although it is nice, like the dollar store sells things <laughs> for the dollar, uh, but it is important to sound like the product space or the product category. So if you open a restaurant, the name should sound like a restaurant name. And if you're a car company, it should sound like a car company because people are going to hear that and the, the, it's going to be very hard for them to learn what it is if it doesn't sound uh, sort of sound that way, or if it has some other clear association. Um, I once spoke to executives from a building, a home builders company that does big developments, like the one of the largest builders of homes in the United States. It's called Pulte. Pulte. And uh, sorry, by the way, for the dog. I don't know if you hear the dog in the background. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and um, they did one study where their name recognition was really, really high, and they're very happy. But then they went back and did a second study where they asked people, what does Pulte do? And 80% of the people said, well, you, you make chicken. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like if your name has some other connotation, that's going to lead people astray. That's bad. You want to get like in the ballpark, even if it isn't like on the nose. Hmm. But equally, you can't please everyone. I mean, like that may sound like chicken to depends on, on the audience. Like it, it's really, I guess it goes down to what I say to people when we talk about domain names. There's, I mean, there's people saying, oh, is that extension better than the other? Or is, uh, you know, Mark mentioned, is it good to get a domain name that matches exactly my brand and uh, or add some descriptive word? And it's really like, it does depend. I think that's what it, I think if, if people are gonna take away one thing from this podcast this year, anything is just think about it, have a strategy talk to people who, whose job that is, even if it's just to get some some opinion. But yeah, I, I, I think it's, it comes down to that, to, to having a strategy, taking things seriously. And, and making sense. Can, can we make sure it makes sense? That's, I mean, I see a lot of startup stuff, especially in, a, in my world, because that's where I operate, and just stuff doesn't make sense. 
Um, mm. You know, it just, there's, there's some things that are, okay, this is on point or there's something where I can think of one name and okay, I get it. But then there's stuff that just has no idea. It doesn't apply. It might be a very vague phrase and it just doesn't make sense. So that, uh, that at least my opinion, it should make somewhat, somewhat make a little sense. They always try to make sense of it. Yes, I agree 100%. There was like some some Greek god that we've never heard of. Some oh, of deity, course. You don't know Proteus? Yes. Yeah, Proteus no, obviously I, was... Yeah. Uh, you never read the Iliad? Obviously, yeah. you're not my Kyos. target market. Kaios yeah. was one yeah. of the startups that I just got pitched, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago. I was like, I have no clue who that is and I have no clue how to spell it. So go away. <laughs> That's why you have to educate the customer. Okay. And nothing gets to a sale quicker than some education on what our brand name is, the origin of it, the story of it, along with several Wikipedia articles that we can really come across as <laughs> being very strong and very cultured and very unique. I mean, yes. obviously, if you don't know Kaios, somebody slept through mythology class, loser. <laughs> we don't want them as a customer. Um, so it, it, it needs to make sense. One of my favorite stories about this, um, the, we all are familiar with Oreos. Some of us remember Hydrox. And Hydrox, people thought of it as the, the Oreo knockoff. It was actually the original cookie. Oreo was the knockoff huh. of Hydrox. Yeah. Um, but one of the reasons that Oreo was able to overtake Hydrox is because the name just did not say cookie to people. And mm. the, the story of how it was named is that the person who created it, this was in somewhere around 1910, 1915. Um, there was no... Uh, cleanliness inspections from the government at factories for food. And so he wanted to convey that his cookies were made in an extremely clean and pure method because people didn't trust that. So what's the cleanest, most pure thing that people trust? Well, water. And what is water? Hydrogen and oxygen. <laughs> so if we name our cookie Hydrox, people who maybe are professional chemists will think of water and therefore think of purity and what it really is a great example of people like not get, can't get out of their own head and can't see things from the consumer's perspective mm. you know you should learn that on day one in a marketing class not to do that but even if you get it on day one in a marketing class it's such an ingrained problem in human psychology that you need to constantly remind yourself otherwise you just get mm. Well, and that company like was the national, the, the national biscuit company, which later rebranded as Nabisco. Yes. Go ahead. Let that one, <laughs> let that one sit for a minute. I still think it should have been called Kaios. Kaios cookies. <laughs> oh dear. I actually didn't know that. that that's very cool. Um, I wanted to uh, ask Chad actually on on touch on um, the impact because we, we just spoke about and that's like a recurring theme and I think it's a, a great point uh, from uh, we just mentioned from um, Aaron was it on on um, keeping in mind the customer and that's like across like I, I don't think I have a podcast a discussion where I don't repeat that and um, even like in my calls when I talk to people about domain names I hear that so often people say oh yeah but we're fine with that name and I'm like you're fine are your customers fine so that's a given 
oftentimes I feel people forget about when we talk about when we deal with branding <laughs> and brands, the effect that has internally. So on the company employees, on the whole, like you're in HR, um, so chat on, um, on the, even like the hiring process, what type of people do you attract? And, and generally, like, what are your thoughts on that? How does brand affect all that? Well, I mean, the, the biggest question is who's your real customer? And how many times have you ever heard a CEO say, quote unquote, employees are our greatest asset, which is in general, that's a complete bullshit. Um, for example, <laughs> for example, the UAW strikes, they negotiate. Tell us how you and, really feel. Please. And they work. If you've ever listened to my podcast, you would know this is on brand. OK, uh, the UAW strikes, negotiates and works incredibly hard to drive better wages and, and benefits uh, to its uh, union employees after giving increases uh, then GM goes out and spends billions on stock buybacks, right? What kind of brand message does that send? Because the brand is not what we say, it's what we do and how we act. And the employer brand is the most important brand we have to cultivate because without talent, nothing else exists. We don't, we can't ideate product. We can't develop product. We can't sell product. We can't Custom, we can't have a customer service department to ensure that our employ, our, our, uh, our products are being used, our services are being used, and we can't expand wallet share, right? So when we start thinking about from a marketing standpoint, what is the most important and who is our real customer? If we don't have, and we're seeing this in our, in, in our organizations now, uh, Amazon actually reported losing $8 billion because of attrition. They lost money, $8 billion, because they couldn't find people to come work for their sorry ass company. That was the problem, right? So well, at least as it we, wasn't 10 billion, that would have been excessive. Yeah, that would have been <laughs> excessive. You're right. But they're also running through, they're also running through um, the workforce in some of the, in some of the uh, local areas that they're in. They have uh, studies that are demonstrating that by 2025, they're, uh, their distribution center will not be sustainable in that mm. they're going to have to move because they're chewing up all of the talent. They've run through them. So as we take a look at this, as we start taking a look at the bottom line, products don't exist. The sales don't exist. The revenue does not exist unless we have employees to be able to do those things until the robots take over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What about what about having a what about having a name? Does the name matter if you have no product, no revenue, or anything like that? I just want to know based on our previous talk. If you don't if you don't have people, then none of it matters. You, the, the name is the name is it doesn't matter. None of it matters. Kios, where we put our employees first. Exactly. Send them an invoice. And unfortunately, that fortunately that name's already taken. So you're gonna have to find some other <laughs> shitty name, Sean. <laughs> no, I completely agree. And uh, I think, um, uh, again, like on your uh, point on about the name and, and domain and all of it, it, I think it's a part of the mix. You can't look at those things, you know, just one. And, you know, if, if you have a bad product or, or a service, even the best name, the best domain name, the best whatever, it's not going to save it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it just eventually you're just going to burn through all your cash to advertise and bring your customers and it, it's just going to, you know, going to be the end of it. And um, great point. It works both for brands, I feel, um, in terms of attracting new customers, but as well, um, 
new talent to work for them. The, the fact that everything is so so connected and and people are getting more demanding um, on both sides is it, just. And I, I don't feel it's going to go you know the other way. I think it's just going to get more and more um, that customer customers are going to be more demanding and employees are going to be more demanding. So that's a lot of work for for businesses to do on on that front. There is a there is a potential. Uh, and again, uh, the professor speaking about research, but there's a, a, a lot of academic research that's showing a really interesting uh, potential positive synergy. And I suppose there's also a positive possible negative uh, cycle there too, which is that when customers really love a brand, um, people like working for that more. It's easier for Apple and Google to recruit employees. Mm -hmm. People go like, you work at Apple? Like, that's really cool. And so mm -hmm. a good brand helps you recruit employees. Um, and it's also true that when employees are happy at work, customer satisfaction goes up because they do a better job and they treat the customers better. Um, you know, there's a, there's a bike shop I do. I'm a pretty avid cyclist. There's a bike shop really near my house that I would like to use when I to repair my bike when needed. But every time I go in there, the employees are looking at me like I'm doing you a huge favor by even talking to you. Um, <laughs> I'm just I'm not going there anymore. But I've overheard the employees talk to each other about how overworked they are and they can't, you know, how bad mm. they did, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it shows whenever they interact with me, which they're not going to do anymore because I'm not going to go there anymore. <laughs> uh, but there really is this uh, possibility of a win-win that, you know, happy employees make for happy customers and happy customers make for happy employees. Yeah. I, I have a take mm. on that. I have a take on that. Go ahead. I, um, my last book called The Future of Purpose-Driven Branding makes the point that uh, that you need to, ha to have a successful social program. You need to make sure that it, it, it adds to the business. And, you, and, and, I, and I take a branding point of view, and I say the way you add to a business is you provide energy, an image lift, and an engagement lift. And, and uh, it, it comes back to that old story about... Uh, uh, that the, the architect in, in London in 1695 was walking down the street and he asked the guy, what are you doing? And he said, I'm building, I'm making, uh, I'm building bricks. I'm, I'm uh, putting one brick after another and I do a really good job. And the next guy said, I'm building a wall and look how great my wall is. And the next guy said, I'm building a cathedral. And, mm. um, you know, people really want to build cathedrals and they want to, have do business with people that build cathedrals. And the reality is if you make bar soap or if you make, um, even if you make a functional automobile, uh, it's pretty hard to be inspired if you're an employee. And that's why a role of a, a social program that's branded, that's a signature program that's integrated into the business strategy. Somebody mentioned Dove Real Beauty. It's a perfect example. Uh, that is their business strategy. It's not, uh, it's not an add-on, a luxury, uh, can we afford this anymore? It is their business strategy. Uh, Life as a program, uh, help a child reach five. They did three videos, got 44 million views. It's Barso. And so, mm. uh, uh, so the point is, if you want to inspire your employees, if you want them to be proud of your business, 
it's pretty hard to do that by talking about sales growth and profit growth and 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 uh, and what's the right way to bake bar soap or the right way to provide a uh, a bank service. But if you mm. if you did like Barclays did, if you have the digital eagles that are out there trying to help people thrive, all of a sudden you uh, everything changes. The, the all the measures that you care about go up. They didn't go up when you're talking about bank services. And so, mm. so I think that if you're interested in your your um, if your brand to to really uh, inspire your employees and motivate them, and and also uh, provide another a, a better way to connect with customers, social programs can pr provide that role. They're, they they should not be there just to do social good. There's a there's a goal number two, and that is to help the business by creating. Visibility, energy, image lift, and engagement lift. Hmm. And it it all goes together. I mean, it's uh, yeah. Ultimately, you and we we touched sort of on on that um, earlier. I think it was you actually. You jumped on your phone and and you said that on the social taking social and political stance, where you could in a way um, not take that stance like drastically and openly with which you would be risking to lose some customers, but still effectively, I mean, we say custom, uh, consumers vote with their wallet. So you as a company can do the same where you're not, you know, banging on Twitter who you support and who you don't, but what you actually do with your profits and with your, you know, engagement with different projects speaks more than other statements you, you, you take on, you know, social media. This is one of the uh, occasions, too, that we find if an organization is rebranding or just refreshing their brand or repositioning themselves, if they're on shaky grounds with their employees and they think that putting a new brand out there is suddenly going to make, you know, feels mm. better and make it better for the business, they're going to be disappointed. It, um, it's an opportunity to finally kind of re-engage your employees and get them in support of where the new brand is going and so forth. But if you don't invest that time internally to make sure that they're coming along, you're you're just going to be pissing away your money, and it's not going to be worth it. Yeah, I did. Mm. A, I did a blog on on the Meta man man change that got 110,000 views or something. It was the second largest I've ever done, and and it was just to your exactly to your point. And it was here was a one time chance to to demonstrate that Facebook had really addressed some of these terrible problems. And they blew it. Mm -hmm. hmm. <laughs> that was one of those, yeah, rebrands of Facebook and Meta. Although they, they they kept the Facebook brand, but yeah, they they got the name. I wanted to. I see Sam has joined us. Um, I wanted to touch on since you have some views on. I mean, we're, we're talking about how does brand affect different areas of uh, business. How do you feel that affects investment? And we did sort of touch on that, but let's talk about that a bit more. I'm sorry, I understand what you said. Uh, how does brand or would the importance of a brand when you're talking about investing, investment, getting investment, attracting investment? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a good question. And, and I don't think there's a one size fits all answer. I think every uh, investor really has their list of preferences and the things that they're looking for. And when you have a brand oriented investor, um, 
then that definitely could come into play and that can be important to them. So like everything else, when you're, you're, you're building, you know, a presentation, you're looking to investors you want to reach out to, you always want to be highlighting a, the strengths and, and B the items that specifically plan to areas that are, have proven to be important to that investor. So yeah, the, the answer is it really depends. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Aaron, I mean, you, your thoughts on that? I, I know you don't deal with investment um, directly in any way, but you've been around brands and branding for long enough. Do you feel like you're consulting brands? You you are in the space. Do you feel a, a strong brand? Uh, with the obvious effect being, you know, strong brand has better sales, so it would do better in that. But just on the brand value alone, do you feel that has an effect? on how um, investors perceive a company. Well, yeah. Investors are people, right? And uh, a lot of you know investment decisions, uh, people try to be as objective as possible, but if you look at the stock market, um, it's not so objective. I mean, one of the things that I teach is about fashion, and I give examples of how fashion isn't just in clothing brands. There's all kinds of other things that have fashions, right? Car design, mm. fashion, furniture has fashion, music and food has fashion, and the stock market has fashion, right? Things stocks, certain you know, tech stocks are in, tech stocks are out, real estate is in, real estate is out, you know, whatever it is, biotech, you know, all these things come in and out. Uh, of fashion on the stock market. And the reason that you get fashion trends, you'll get them in any kind of a situation where people want to be right in some way, even if it's in the sense of like wearing the right thing, even if it's not sort of objectively right, but they don't know what, what right really is. It's, you can't really tell that for sure. And so everyone looks around at everybody else to figure out what the right thing is, and then you get these weird sort of fashion cycles. And the fact that we have this fashion in the stock market is just an example of, you know, everyone wants to be right. They want to pick the right stock, but they don't really know what the right stock is, right? And so they, they're looking around and you, you know, to everybody else and following these trends, and then it, it turns into the sort of fashion system. Uh, and, and what that really shows is that there's a lot of room in there for fuzzy kinds of things, you know, to influence uh, stock purchasing. Mm. Uh, on that trends in fashion, um, I really want to get everybody's opinion on um, obviously like the big word of this year is artificial intelligence. And uh, it, it's a bit funny because obviously it's been there for a long time, but um, like, because I have, a lot of four kids, a lot of kids, but I, I, I find that uh, indicative of, you know, things kind of explode in popularity when they get to the level of a kid in terms of like, can they access it? Can they use it? Yes. Then it goes. Cause I have friends who've been working in artificial intelligence for like decades. And usually they would be, you know, at a party, the person sitting there in the corner, like alone or trying to get one or two people to listen to them. And now all of a sudden, everybody's like into it and everybody knows about it or wants to know about it. It's talking about it, it's using it, everything. So now we are seeing a lot of uh, businesses going into incorporating that in their names, in their domains, in their brands. And, and my personal thoughts on that is in a way, like I get it, but equally, and I don't think AI is going anywhere. I think it's gonna stay. But like you feel about like some years ago, you had cloud and everything was cloud. And 
it's not that the cloud is gone, it's still there, but just it became so normalized that nowadays, like if you have that in your name, it's like, you know, what are you doing? So what are your thoughts on, on AI in, in that respect when it comes to branding yourself around it? It's a lot of bandwagon. Are you sure it's going to come there? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it, can you hear me? I have, I have someone uh, doing like landscaping right at this exact moment that I wanted to, to, to come in. Um, is it coming in clear? Because I just yeah, literally yeah, right now. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's a very bandwagony thing. And by very bandwagony thing, I mean like, well, six months ago, everybody was doing blockchain. And a year before that, everybody was doing NFTs. And before that, it was impacts. And before that, it was cloud. So when it, when it comes to things like these, you know, you have to see who's real and who isn't. OpenAI has been doing stuff for nearly a decade. It's not like it just came out overnight. You know, it's like you said, they were at the party. Well, I don't know who talks artificial intelligence to the party. Like leave the party back in the day. Now it's hot. Now it's a bandwagon thing. But like uh, essentially people, and I see it all the time for startups because everyone's pivoted to what people are investing in and what people are talking about. AI is not going anywhere, but I'm sure 18 months from now, there's going to be something new that comes out. And then we're going to pivot to that to try and do something remarkable and try and do something that has a cool brand. Um, and, and it's really, you know, it's the ones that stick with it, that have been doing it, that that's what their specialty is. That's what they want to do. And they don't care where the market's going to be in five years or 10 years, because that's what they're building. They're not just building something for the moments. And I feel like a lot of startups are just, you know, and a lot of companies are all just trying to, you know, jump, jump on the bandwagon. It's the moment, you know, it's, it's companies that a year ago had, they couldn't even spell AI, couldn't spell it. And now they're AI experts. So yeah. That, and, and when evaluating them or even looking to work with them or not only invest or whatever, but even looking to work with them and see, well, what makes you an expert? You don't know anything about it other than you're a user. Uh, our company is trusted by people that use chat GPT. So they're going to love us. Yeah. I think AI is, it resonates with our earlier point about authenticity and real, uh, real communication. Uh, another world I dabble in is uh, screenwriting. And in this past year, uh, every screenwriter wishes they had a poster, you know, or a book cover for their, for their screenplay. So AI came along and, Bam! Now every screenwriter whips up an AI uh, poster or cover for their for their script. But I, but you know, it, it always comes down to the fingers and the hands, and <laughs> I can't get that right. So I think it's really going to be another thing that five years from now is really going to look like bell bottoms. It's really going to be, oh yeah, I remember the early twenties when everything was, you know, a wide-eyed, smooth-skinned, blank expression AI person, you know, model. Uh, and uh, there's, of course, it's not going to go away. It's going to get better and better until it becomes invisible. Uh, but so much of what is output by it right now. And I, I'm gratified. I, I feel like as a namer, I'm kind of safe from a lot of the output of AI because AI is 100% backward looking. You know, AI, everything that AI produces comes from what was before. It chewed up all those words and spits a new one out. So when people like try AI for naming, it's amazing how quaint and old fashioned, you know, it'd be like naming genie, you know, or naming guru, you know, it, it comes up with things that sound 50 years old. So um, I'm not scared of it, but I also think that a lot of what is coming out of it t today will look very dated very soon. 
And uh, for those listening at home, be, being a prompt engineer is not a skill set. Just want to throw that out there. It's not, it's not a competitive advantage. It's the equivalent of having an email or using Microsoft Word or Google Docs. It's not an expertise. It's not something you should be thought of as a prompt engineer, prompt guru. So just want to, didn't want to interrupt, just wanted to throw that out. Little helpful yeah. hints. It's no coincidence that it's artificial output. You know, mm -hmm. it sounds awkward. It sounds, you know, made up. There's no human touch to it. So, well, uh, um, Probably one of the most well, one of the most visible applications of AI is carless, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, cars that drive themselves. And uh, Tesla has been on the forefront of that for twelve years, and uh, he's been predicting every year for seven years that the next year there's going to be carless, you know, driverless cars all over the place, and they're not there yet, and. Uh, I think that's instructive, and even in the in the area where it seems like uh, was an obvious application, which is to take over the customer uh, call center. Well, some people have tried that, and in one one um, nonprofit that had a um, was trying to help advise people how to eat better, and so they fired all their their uh, um, their call center people. Which was a important part of their business, and they replaced it with AI. And they and they found that they were starting to advise their customers to eat really bad stuff, and uh, um, they had to go back to the real people. Mm. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised that. I think we we were talking, we're circling around the authenticity again, and I think huge part of that is exactly that contrast that you see. The more you get of the artificial stuff the more it makes you appreciate real real human interaction even with all of its imperfections and that can come across like everything from you know naming content generation general brand presentation all and thought leadership don't forget thought leadership now you can be a <laughs> thought leader in any field just go to chat gpt and it's like oh, we you see can a lot do of it that. You, you, of course, you can do it, but then if you ever talk to one of these people that are considered a thought leader and ask them a question about what they wrote, kind of comes up short, <laughs> you know. Um, my uh, and it also works for cold outreach. My uh, I get a lot of stupid stuff on LinkedIn, a lot of stupid um, stuff. Yeah, no. um, but <laughs> no, my favorite, my, my my favorite though was a, was a pitch for someone's startup. You know, the, you, you can tell it's AI generated, but, but not that I needed confirmation, but there was confirmation where I got this long winded, very bland, uh, cold outreach message that was signed in brackets, insert company information. <laughs> so if you're, you're, you're going to be that lazy to just generate it, at least, you know, don't copy and paste the whole thing, at least sign your name and then copy and paste it. So, um, yeah, yeah it's a takeaway. <laughs> Yeah, there's the takeaway. I mean, my, my personal opinion on it is that it makes stupid people feel smart. <laughs> so that's that's that that should be a value proposition for new AI, new AI content, making stupid that's feel smart. Good. That's that's <laughs> right? honest, that's short. I'm telling you that's gonna work. Yeah, that's gonna that's, work. Yeah. That's <laughs> what it is. A huge audience. All right, we're doing it. We can do it together. You know, just it's a it's a monthly SaaS model, and you can, you know, you're no brain surgeon until now. So, you know, what, why not? Absolutely. Let's um, yeah do. Uh, uh, I see people coming and, and going, and we've kind of uh, been on for some time. Let's do some with everyone that's left. Some 
prediction. I wouldn't like to call it prediction because we, we don't have the you know magic ball like to, to see into the future, but based on, on, on your experience up to this point, where do you see where do you see things going in the coming year when it comes to um, branding and demu I guess rebranding? I'd actually yeah wanted to talk more about that but we, we kind of came away from the topic Let, let's before the predictions before the predictions um we've seen a lot of rebrands this year and i i might be wrong but i i do feel at least in my line of work i've, I've seen more rebrands than the years before and um why do you feel that is I, I i think there is a general acceptance that it's a smart business strategy in the right case mm. you know so so it's usually convincing leadership that it's you know it's not just a marketing strategy it's a enterprise wide growth facilitator and and therefore you've got more executives who are willing to take the chance and and follow a very disciplined plan to do it right um you know and i think what what what's interesting is how it's being used so there was a great example in the us this past year of Bed Bath and Beyond, which was, you know, yet another example of these big box retailers who are kind of stumbling and failing um, that an online uh, liquidator kind of um, uh, uh, platform um, called Overstock.com bought their IP and the brand and pulled it over to reposition themselves as well as expand to reach the, you know, the capabilities of all the original Bed Bath and Beyond customers, brilliant strategy. It seems to, it seems to be a great idea, and and so I think we're going to see more of those kind of really interesting you know ways to solve problems with rebranding being the 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 kind of key driver mm. behind it. Mm. I think yeah, I think very much agree with the fact that it's become more accepted. Before it used to be more of a like basically companies would have to be really pushed in a corner and usually like for you know negative reasons to do that whereas now i see more and more companies doing it because they're expanding because they you know offering more things entering a new market like say like mergers acquisitions and it mm -hmm. and it's almost like and also i feel there's probably a part of um the fact that you you have so much more ways to have that two-way communication with your audience that the fact that you can explain yourself better and make them more involved with that process, it helps for for people to actually be able to make that decision. Yeah. Now, interestingly enough, this fall, we've seen a, this trend emerging that I hope doesn't continue. Um, <laughs> and it's kind of rebranding boomerangs. So it's it's organizations that rebranded several years ago to open up a strategic kind of growth path and something about it didn't work or it didn't prove to be as successful as they thought and they're going back to their original mm. brand so business insider which is a major news platform for the business space um became just insider and they wanted to be kind of all things to all people became you know way too much they bit off more than they could chew there was a leadership change they went back to business insider so mm. we're hoping that that doesn't it's not a trend that continues because it suggests that people got out over their skis maybe a little too far in what they were hoping to achieve with the rebranding. Mm. 
Great. So that's going to be my real last question now. Let's talk about next year. You just mentioned a, a trend that you saw this year and you hope it's not going to run into the next one. Um, mm-hmm. Anybody else, any any trends that you feel are going to continue next year? Um, the myth around building a community, around things that don't need a community, but saying that that's your strongest point. I mean, there, <laughs> there's, there's so many companies... A lot of them startups, again, my world, I'm a little biased, that want to build communities and build these massive communities around their product or service, which really isn't that one community driven and two interesting or three something braggable to be a part of, to be like, oh, I'm part of this community. They're having a great event. And it's like, well, what community is it? It's like, oh, it's for lawnmower parts. You know, <laughs> but people, but people always want to do that. And I'm seeing it. And building a community is very difficult. Okay. It's very difficult to do to get people like, especially at scale to come to a discord or a Slack or a social media page or whatever and engage and be part of it and evangelize what you're selling and doing. I mean, most of them just, they start it and then they're dead. And then some, and then it, while it's dead, like spammers come over and then the whole thing is, is ruined. So I'm hoping people are customer driven and not community driven. Mm. And, um, I don't see it changing, but at the same time, I think there's also an opportunity for someone to come and build a real community. That's really awesome. That's like, wow, this is an amazing community. I meet people and they have the same thoughts as me and I get deals and I'd like check it once or twice a day, but that really, it's hard to pull off. So I'm hoping less community, more service and customer focused, uh, but as usual, I'm probably going to be wrong and it's going to be more communities, mm-hmm. more communities, people asking me to join them and partake. And if I don't partake, they send an email every other week saying we haven't seen you and we missed you, which they really don't. So yeah, <laughs> I, I, agree with Sean. I agree with Sean. I think that is really played out and, and people are asked too much to participate in every, every little increment like that. I think we're going to see, and this goes hand in hand with the recurring theme for me today, which is uh, authenticity of when you think you are talking to an individual person, when you like, I, I got Apple care with my new computer. And when I call them up, there's a human there who tells me their name and we waste very little time in, you know, filling out forms or, or them trying to standardize me, but their, their pitches direct human to human. And I think that is any time you can bring that element to your business, that is going to be to your advantage. That your customer gets to talk to a person, uh, and to the extent that the, your company can uh, express its communications that way, I think it's going to have very, very high value because we're all aware of when we're interacting with a machine now or with a script. Uh, I, I went to the movies the other day to see Godzilla, and. Uh, Every line out of the person's mouth who was serving me their the the popcorn and coke, every everything I said, they had a canned thing, you know, a canned mm. uh, scripted thing they had to say to upsell me, and it was just alienating so quickly. There was no human interaction there, so I think that's going to be a trend that'll that'll continue to rise. Person, so you're saying more drones. Okay. Exactly. AI driven drones, mostly. <laughs> we can. AI models, especially. Yes. Under, understood. Well, that, I mean, that's what they're there for. You can be like, is 
this movie any good? And it's like, well, it doesn't matter about the movie. It's about the experience. And the experience <laughs> is always better with the larger popcorn and a double-sized right. Coca-Cola, which you can have right now. Yeah, so that's there's a, there's a lot of that also where it's like reading from the script. The indoctrination of the business. Just sell, sell, sell. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I think it's an interesting point. You mentioned that you were talking to a person, but they were acting like... A, a robot because they had those phrases that they've learned. So that that's something that reminds me my experience with with you know a number of yeah people in service especially you see that and that's a good uh, good point and something to to learn from that it's not just about you know having real humans but also you know and it comes down to a brand actually I think as well because um, that's what brand is you know it's what that a company stands for it's it's a promise of what it is what it does what is it going to be but then you have to actually keep it yeah uh, sean talked about communities mark talked about having a human being that you talk to both of those things i totally agree with you sean creating a community is freaking hard and you shouldn't you know it's fabulous if you can do it the results are huge if you can do it but don't underestimate what you're biting off when you when you decide that's what you want to do. Uh, both of those, though, if you can pull it off, can be incredibly effective. And the reason they can be effective is that the human brain creates loyal relationships with people and does not create loyal relationships with brands or other objects, at least when it thinks they're brands or other objects. And when you create a loyal relationship with a brand, it's because you think it's a person. Um, and that's true at a neurological level in terms of what the brain is doing. And so what we're all scrambling around trying to do, um, some of us knowingly, some of us stumbling into it unknowingly, is we're all trying to get our consumers, if we're going to have this sort of brand love strategy, we're all trying to get our consumers to think about our brand in the same kinds of ways that they think about people. Um, and one of the easiest ways to do that is to have them actually talk to and relate to human beings. And then they start thinking about it because there's actually a person there. Um, and if you're not going to do that, um, if you don't want to create that kind of a relationship, then you're back to the mass marketing. And, and there are ways to make that work too. You know, mm -hmm. there's ways to say like this object is really just an object. It's all it is. And it's convenient and it's cheap and it's here. And and mm -hmm. that can also work. But that's a, that's a very different point. Wonderful. Well, that's been an absolute pleasure, everyone. I can thank everyone because so, some of you have left, but I'm, I'm going to do that in emails later. Um, anyone, anything to, to add or uh, are we good there? No, thank you for having us. I had a lot of fun. I learned a lot. No, most likely that I wasn't alone in going crazy. As usual, I was right. <laughs> thank you, Carol. Yeah, Tatiana, it's great, it's great to talk to real people. So uh, even yeah. if you're screen, uh, a nice finite number of humans here. Nice to nice to meet you all and, and hear from you. Pleasure. Absolutely. Thank Bye, you. Everybody. Thank you all. It's been fun for me too. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Smart Branding Podcast. Feel free to visit smartbranding.com for more information and reach out if you have any suggestions, questions, ideas, or just want to learn more about how a good domain name strategy can help you build a strong and successful brand. See you next time.